welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. In this episode of the Human Technology Podcast, I want to talk about three things that disappointed me in the past, or maybe disappointment is a too strong word, that made me thinking, that made me reflecting on yeah, human technology, the relationship between humans and technology and so I've identified three, three of them and um, this is what I'm going to talk about today. And usually I don't bash my colleagues. I just don't do this and tell them, hey, you did this wrong and I would have done that better this way. And yeah, if you don't correct this, I will tell anyone on my podcast and my LinkedIn posts and my next book, you will see bad. And nope, I don't do this. So every every decision that is done in the areas of HMI, usability, and UX is always a compromise. HMI designers, usability designers, UX designers, UI designers, we all have one big problem, which is also something that is a huge benefit of what we do. Humans have, when they interact with technology, always an opinion about this. They look at a piece of technology at an HMI, an automotive uh, infotainment system, a smartphone app, a smart home device, whatever it is. They look at it and they say, okay, I like it, I don't like it, I can use it, I cannot use it, it's easy, it's hard. I would have done this better and this is well done. So humans always have, and this is a good thing, they have, have a right to have an opinion right away. And this is something that uh, we share with the chefs, for example, or with architects. Yeah, if you go to a restaurant and you get a meal, you always have an opinion right away. You like it the way, you like the way it looks, it smells, it, and you taste it, and yeah, and I would have put on a little less salt, I would have cooked it a little longer. Uh, you, you have an opinion on this one, right? And this may this is a big benefit of the job I'm having. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. And also it is a big disadvantage because everybody is talking about this. And big bosses uh, talk into this. Marketing people are always interested in the HMI. Uh, the CTOs, the uh, development leaders, uh, they all have an idea and they all have an opinion. And then this is good. It's not, not, no, no problem. Um, 
Our job as HMI designers then is to bring it to a level where not one single person and, and not one single um, uh, the, the decision maker in a company uh, is having all the power to decide something. But uh, that, well, you, you do some things where you say, hey, 80% of users will be ready to use this or 80% of our potential clients will love it. Yeah, this is the level we, we are working on. But, and this is the big but here, um, it is always a compromise. If you have a boss that really insists on something and you say, well, this is not absolutely stupid, well, you can think about it. This is real life. This, is, this shouldn't be the case, but in reality, it is the case. And then it's also um, the one of the most used sentences in UX, UI design, HMI design is the sentence, it depends. Every now and then people ask me, hey, Peter, what, what is the best automotive HMI that is out there on the market at the moment? And my reply then is it depends. It depends on, well, what best means and now which parameters, functionality, design, beauty, ease of use, user experience. So th this is one thing. The other thing is, is this one designed for a Chinese market, for a European market, for US market? Is this one designed for technology-oriented people or for people that are critical towards technology. So all these things, they go into the overall rating of it. And so it depends. It depends on the context, on the use cases, on the company history. Um, There's so many dependencies in HMIs that it's very hard to identify the one single best. And so if, if I see a piece of technology, if I yeah um, have a sit in a car if I have a look at an automotive infotainment system then I don't know who made the decisions why they were made what the factors were that counted into the decision making all these facts for me remain usually remain in the dark so that maybe if, if I know a bit more about the backgrounds um, I will change my statements uh, I will correct them depending on what I may know in the future, if, if I know everything about this. But on the other side, there is always an over and over again situations where I am a bit disappointed, irritated, sometimes angry, when I believe, hey, they had so many resources, they had so much time, money, material, focus, effort. And they could have made it really, really good. And then the value this particular company Produces and that particular product is not maximized. And I have identified three of these points where I'm a bit uh, irritated, um, where I have questions. Uh, one is I have changed from the Windows and Android world into the Apple world. I made this step about 10 weeks ago, so I have quite some experience now with the Apple equipment and I'm loving it. It's better, definitely the better choice, but it's not free from bugs. It's not free from problems. So I will talk about this. The second one is um, the level two automation of a German premium car. My wife has a fresh company car, which uh, has this level two automation. <coughs> 
Excuse me. Which is this level two automation. And I made some experiences with that. And um, it's good, it's supportive, but it could be better. And then the HMI of the Cupra Formentor, which is a car out of the Volkswagen company. Cupra is the sportive brand of Seat. The Spanish brand, uh, the Spanish branch of the Volkswagen company. And um, yeah, uh, I was upgraded to that car last time I was at uh, my second home in, in Mallorca, in Spain. And so I drove, I drove quite a bit with that. Um, yeah, <clears throat> so I will talk about the HMI. Those are the three ones. Um, uh, changing from Windows to Apple. Level 2 automation uh, of a German premium car and the HMI of a Cupra Formentor. Let's start with Apple. Um, I used to have Windows notebooks as my main device uh, when I was working for my business, also for private community, but basically for my business. And usually the uh, battery, the internal battery, is uh, the bottleneck in, in lifetime. And when the time, the lifetime go, drops down from eight to, let's say, four or three hours, which is usually happening after two or three years, then I get me a new one. I mean, the last one, I had it four years, almost five years, because there was the pandemic and I didn't travel so much. Uh, I was working at my desk anyway all the time. So um, there was no need to change it. But now, um, since traveling picks up again and I'm on the road, more and more I'm at my clients, uh, plus the fact that the overall condition of that device was not that good anymore. So I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And we have an Apple, Apple shop here in, in a shopping mall um, in, in, in the city where I live. Whenever I was there, I went to this Apple shop and I played around with this uh, MacBooks, MacBook Air, MacBook Pro and uh, with, the, with the iPhones because I was aware if, if I change from Windows to Apple, I, I, always, uh, I, I should also change to, to, to the iPhone to have this complete ecosystem. And um, I was not really sure most of the time said, hmm, Will I get one of these or not? Yes, no, and oh, it's pretty expensive, and is it really worth it? And uh, yes, and I, I talked to two persons in my network. One is one of my best friends, and the other one is my son. Both of them are total Apple aficionados. Uh, they love it. They uh, are Apple freaks, and so they said, "Do it, yeah, do it." There's no better choice. You, you, you. That that'll be the life changer for you. And I mean, the image Apple has, everything is easy, everything is simple, everything plays together. The uh, systems uh, don't have any bugs, uh, they don't fail. You don't need to restart them when something goes wrong. All the backups and the updates, they all run in the background. You don't need to take care about anything like that. So sometimes I had the feeling... Um, Apple users are part of an extremely religious group, uh, not allowing any other opinion and finding everything excellent that comes out of Cupertino. Um, one of these guys, uh, these the sales guys at this Apple store said to me, oh, you are a Windows user. I'm so sorry for you. 
Okay, I had not been aware that somebody needs to be sorry for me because I have a Windows PC. But anyway, um, at the very end, I made the decision. I said, yes, I'm going to make the step um, away from Windows and Android towards Apple. And uh, to summarize this um, already now, I don't regret it. It has clear advantages, but there are a couple of things um, where I believe, well, this is not meeting the image Apple already has. So the positive side, so it's a very elegant device. The user experience is absolutely exceptional. Although there are HMI and usability problems, and I have not yet fully understood how Apple is doing that. I mean, even me, that I was very skeptical in the beginning and I have a professional view into the relationship between humans and technology. This is my job, this is what pays my, my, my bills. But um, I have no, no clue what the magic add-on is that Apple has. And probably it's not just one thing, but it is a million small things uh, that add up to the one magic ingredient uh, to, to make Apple uh, what it is. Definitely, everything plays with each other's. For example, um, the scanning. Yeah, so I had a scanner here, and uh, it doesn't work with the Apple world, and I threw it away, which is not a problem at all, because if I open the Notes app and then click on one button there, then there comes the scanning function, and uh, once I click that, my iPhone turns into the scanner and uh, I can scan the document and then it is right on my desktop. Super easy, super great, and I think a great example of how easy it can be with the Apple world. Synchronization of the different calendars. I have a calendar on the iPhone, calendar on the MacBook, with a task, with the notes, with the photos. So everything is working as one one thing and this is the big 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 advantage of the apple world when there is a lot of light there's also some shade things that i'm not really clear about is which software uses the icloud for automatic information exchange some of them do like calendar notes i have uh, a software called mindnode which is a mind mapping tool. When I do something on the PC, I find it on the smartphone changed more or less in real time. So all pretty easy, pretty good. But some don't do this. GarageBand, for example, or the entire Office package, they don't do this, or at least not automatically. And so I have not yet found out why. Which one is it? Which one, where, where can I rely on the fact that uh, things I do on my MacBook show up on my uh, on my smartphone as well, um, and we're not. And the other thing that I found negative is that I needed a complete new set of charges and charging cables. I thought that in the European Union um, there is legal activity at least ongoing, if not yet realized that you have to have USB-C uh, and uh, in in the in the um, uh, in all devices and that this is the one that you have so that you can reuse your chargers and your cables. Not the fact here, um, they have a propriety, a power supply and well, yes, uh, I have to live with that. 
Let's move on to the iPhone. Um, I find that pretty bulky. I had an Oppo smartphone before that, uh, one of these high-end Oppos with a very slim uh, design um, and very elegant. And compared to that, and I mean, I don't have the biggest iPhone. I have the iPhone 14 Pro and not the Pro Max, which would have been even bigger and even thicker and yeah, so um, this is not really elegant. I mean, the camera is very good in it, but I had uh, one smartphone of Huawei a few years ago, and that had the best camera ever. Unbelievable how good that was. It was unbeatable. And the Apple camera is very good, but it's not on that level. Another thing I don't like about this, you cannot use the iPhone with one hand. You always need two hands to use it. Because, I mean, if, if I have my smartphone in my right hand, I'm right-handed, I usually take the four fingers and the palm to hold it, and I use my right thumb to interact. And this works pretty well. The problem is that the back button in almost any Apple application is on the upper left. And uh, so I have to use my left hand uh, to, to, to go back in an app. And I find this pretty irritating. Um, sometimes you just have one hand. If you walk around and you have maybe a back in your left hand and you want to use a smartphone to check something, then um, there should be another option on back. And in the, in the uh, Oppo, for example, um, swiping back on the screen on any location was the back function. And that was possible with the right thumb. So that allowed me the one-handed use of a smartphone. As I said, back in the upper left, not possible. And if we talk about the back button in the upper left, it's always there. Besides, in the iOS Safari browser, there it is in the lower left corner, which is totally inconsistent. Why? I mean, it's their own software. Apple is writing that. Why don't they put it on the upper left corner? Maybe there is some setting somewhere I haven't found, but the default, that should be the consistent one. It's just the same, the URL entry, the entry of the internet address, that is not on the upper end, that's on the lower end. Totally inconsistent again. I mean, in any browser I know, and in the, in the desktop version, version, in the MacBook version of the Safari, it's also back button on the upper left and URL entry uh, on the upper end of the screen. So I don't understand this. And once we are talking about back here, it's another thing um, I find pretty confusing, particularly on the iPhone. Where does it jump to if I press back? Where, where do I go to? It's always crazy. Sometimes I have the feeling, hey, they are fooling me with what they do there. All right, um, another thing, more hardware-related, the left part of the start touchscreen uh, has is not uh, has has has, has uh, uh, much more resistance than than uh, the rest of the screen, so I need pr to press harder for on every button that's on the left side of of the touchscreen. So when I type an uh, a message and an WhatsApp or an email, I always write messages without A's because the A on the keyboard on the German keyboard is on the very left side, and I tap on this with the same strength and length like on any other letter, but it just doesn't print the A. And the last one on the iPhone, sorry for bashing that, but uh, 
Um, I'm using Spotify as my music streaming service. And I have a uh, studio, a home studio uh, here in my living room. And these three, the iPhone, the app, and the device, my, my system here, my, my stereo system, they just don't work with each other. I mean, in 90% of the cases, it's okay, but in 10% of the cases, which adds up quite a lot if you listen a lot to music like I do, um, and it's, it's crazy, down to the point that I had to have to either, either restart the stereo system, um, which, uh, okay, has not, probably nothing to do with Apple, but also needed to restart the iPhone. And this is something where everybody says, oh, you don't need to restart iPhones. Yeah. Uh, everything works and, and it's so, so, so clear. And it's wrong. I mean, I restarted it and it's not because I'm used to that. I mean, Android phones need to be restarted every now and then because it solves the problem. So when I restart my iPhone, everything works afterwards. Before it doesn't and I restart it and it works. So uh, restarting the device is also a strategy for the iPhone. Let's move on to the MacBook um, that also fails every now and then, particularly <coughs> crashes, particularly when I end the Notes app. And I mean, this is a small app. It is a core part of the uh, HMI and, and then the functionality of uh, all Apple devices. Um, so I cannot... Uh, uh, it's not something foreign or something huge and something strange. It is a super standard app. And in 50% of the times when I try to end this one, um, I get this little circle, circling rainbow and that's it. Yeah, and then I have to make enormous efforts to restart my MacBook, <coughs> which uh, definitely should not be the case. I have a uh, big screen here on my desktop and I connect this with HDMI. So the entire HDMI behavior is not really clear, particularly if I close uh, the MacBook, um, then every now and then uh, the mouse connection is cut so that the mouse isn't working. <coughs> Enormous problems. Once we talk about the HDMI, I have um, the MacBook Air which has two USB-C plugs in it and a power plug, that's all. And I got the original Apple adapter to USB, the big traditional USB, another USB-C port and the HDMI port. And I have an Apple certified hard drive for the backups, for the time machine backups. And when I connect that one to the USB-C plug, in the adapter, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. When I put it, plug it into the one, the second one I have in my MacBook, then it works. And this, uh, I mean, so I have to unplug now two cables instead of one cable if I want to use my MacBook uh, away from my desk, which doubles the effort at that point in time. But luckily there are two USB-C ports at, at the computer. Um, but that's also not really, not really clear. And um, I have an, an external keyboard um, that is shaky, uh, doesn't lie on my desk properly. So there's a mechanical problem this one has, but total limit to the user experience. At the end, um, 
there is uh, the idea that Apple is not perfect, but they're better than the other systems that are out there. And it is sheer fun to work with these devices. It's simple. Um, usually it's very easy to, to get the solved or to get the task you need to solve uh, to be solved with, with Apple. Well, that's, that's much easier than, than many other devices. And to be honest, I have been to one of these electronic markets a few days ago and stood uh, in front of a couple of Windows PCs and I saw them and I don't know why, but uh, I know these thingies are not fun. I don't want to work with them anymore. I don't, I don't want to touch it. And again here, I don't know the magic ingredient Apple has to get exactly that done. All right, let's move on to the premium car level two automation. This is the new company car of my wife. Uh, she has this since, um, I don't know, six, seven, eight weeks. And uh, we've been driving some hundreds, probably two to 3,000 kilometers uh, with that car. And uh, I'm going to focus here. I want to talk about the car itself. It's a very good uh, premium small SUV. The, for me, the biggest HMI challenge of the future in, in automotive is the redefinition of the relationship between uh, car and driver. This is what we do at the moment with all these um, automation systems, with all the driver assistance systems. We redefine the relationship we have between human and rolling robot. Who is doing what? Who is doing what in what way? How can I interfere with that? And uh, the idea um, that, uh, uh, yeah, well, what's going to happen next? How's, how is that going to change in, in the near future? And level two automation means that the car controls lateral and longitudinal movements of the car. This works in certain contexts, not everywhere, and uh, the driver needs to be in the loop, in the control loop all the time. So you need to sit there, watch the machine working, and what, what is it doing. So you're not allowed to grab your smartphone, or you're not allowed to, to uh, read a book, or to look outside the window, um, on the side window. You have to be fully in control all the time. And I have talked a couple of times about uh, the HMI that is connected with these uh, automation systems, that sometimes it's not really clear um, what does it mean if this icon is red, if the icon is blue, and then how does it work, and um, yeah, well, what happens if it's flashing. So yeah, the HMI solutions that are out there are not far from optimal. The one in this car is okay. It's not 100% clear who is doing what. Um, for example, the, the final feedback of, of the car. Um, I have everything under control. Yeah? You can take your hands off the wheel or you can, you can take your feet off the pedal. That's not really clear. Uh, if you have a closer look, if you learn the system, yes. But uh, sometimes it is uh, uh, not really clear who, who's in charge right now, who's driving. Second point is that uh, the car is often behaving erratic. It's unexpected. It's doing unexpected things. 
Sometimes it breaks or accelerates uh, unexpectedly. And uh, the, the most critical situation I had in this context was the following one. I was um, driving on a German Autobahn, had the navigation active, and I was supposed to leave the Autobahn at a certain junction. And in, in Germany, many of these Autobahn junctions have a 270-degree right turn. And in this one, you shouldn't drive 160 kilometers per hour. I was driving 160, and you should not drive through these curves with 160 kilometers per hour. I made the decision that I will not use this exit, but the next one, because there was a cheap gas station. I wanted to get some, some gas there. And I was driving on the left lane, 160 kilometers per hour. And when I reached the junction, the car suddenly was breaking down to 60 kilometers per hour. Because it was believing that I was on the exit lane trying to take this 270 degrees curve. And this came totally unexpected. This is dangerous. This, this should not happen. And this is what I mean with erratic behavior, unexpected things. I was lucky that there was no other car behind me because uh, that would have crashed into me. Because I was braking on a free open autobahn from 160 to 60. And there, there are many things like this, but this was the most obvious example. And all these bugs, um, they become visible over the time of use. And you learn how to manage them. And you, once you have learned it a bit, you may be able to, to, to expect them and say, hey, yeah, there might be something coming up. And uh, now I have to, to accelerate or I have to turn off the automation because this and this is going to happen so you learn how to handle this car, and it's a new learning. It's a, uh, because this, this 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 relationship between car and driver is defined in a new way and it changed. Yeah? You need to relearn it. What is your job as a human, and what is the job of the rolling robot? And uh, level two means that you have to be in control always. And in this car, you do this automatically because it has so many surprises in this uh, that you say, oh, I have to take care about this one. There may be something really crazy happening pretty soon. So I better keep my eyes on the road and my hands on the wheel. But and this is the advantage, particularly on long trips in certain contexts, like on the uh, autobahn, on the highway in Germany, if there's not too much traffic, it's an excellent support. It's, it's ex extremely helpful um, and, and supports you, particularly on, on long trips. If you get tired at the end, um, that, that is very, very good. But sometimes I'm thinking it's more stress-free to drive by myself. All right, the final one, the last one, the Cupra Formentor. Beautiful car. I love that car. I saw it. I was driving with it. Excellent. Problem is the HMI, the infotainment HMI, the entire arrangement there is mediocre, maximum mediocre. There's a touch bar under the main screen. And I drove with this car over a week and I didn't learn what it was, how it worked. It was something with the volume, but also maybe temperature. So I, I used workarounds all the time uh, because I didn't want to use that touch bar. So I, I turned up and down the volume and on, on the steering wheel. 
and uh, when I wanted to have a different temperature, I opened window. Um, so yeah, um, I, I never never understood what this touch bar is for. Another one is that there is a main button. Um, and that main button has two functions. If you press it once, it takes it to the main screen, which is okay. And the icon indicates this. And if you want to go to the settings and, and uh, the setup of the systems and, and deeper into the system and, and the apps and everything, then you need to press this button twice. And this is a hidden feature. I, I had known this before from another system uh, from, from a SEAT. But for that system, I needed to look it up in the handbook. I was not able to find out. I mean, the problem was this, uh, the system was in Spanish. My Spanish is okay-ish. Um, but in the car, I would have liked to have it in, in German. And then I was searching the language settings. And for that, to access the settings, the language settings on the system, you needed to press the main button twice. Because that takes you into the settings. My question is, why don't they put an appropriate icon onto that button? Something like a little gear or uh, a little screwdriver. Yeah, these icons that we use for, for settings. And that, that would have solved the problem. I see, oh, okay, two icons, probably pressing it twice takes me to the second function. Very natural, externally consistent way of interaction. Then uh, the system, the main screen, has uh, three widgets on that. They do not contain really good information. They are more or less useless. It's just like, hmm, all right, yes, nice, nice to look at, but not what I really need. So I switched to Apple CarPlay. And I have talked about Android Auto a couple of times, uh, because in the past I had an Android phone and I used Android Auto in these cars. And that was always a little shaky. That was not very nice. I've talked about this one. Apple CarPlay is far better and more stable than, than Android Auto. It's far from perfect, but uh, it is much better. All right. So, cool car, but poor HMI in that particular one I was talking about. Let's summarize this episode. I talked about three things that made me thinking. I, I want to avoid the, the word disappointment, but um, that could have been done better by my colleagues in the HMI departments. One is everything around my switch from Apple to Windows. Uh, no, the other way around. How could I have done that wrong? From Windows to Apple and from Android to Apple. Uh, Apple, far better, far smoother, really elegant, some magic ingredient uh, that creates user experience, but definitely not free from any bugs and problems and open points. Then a German premium car, level two, automatization. Um, yeah, a couple of bugs in that. Also good and, good and supportive in certain contexts, but can be improved, clearly. And at the end, the HMI of the Cupra for Mentor, uh, which I think uh, could have been done better. And as far as my insights go, they are planning to do that. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. 
I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an ongoing exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites peter-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de. Write me an email on the podcast at beyond-hmi.de. Tune in next time. Take care and stay healthy.